As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, Hal, or this uh, super special edition of the Midweek Hal is uh, we're up and recording. Are you, are you, I know you're excited. We've been talking about this for yeah, a couple most weeks. Most famous person we've ever had. Probably, yeah. yeah. Probably. I the mean, most I famous. think he's the most famous. I don't know, you know, depends <laughs> on what consumers think, but yeah, I think he's the most famous person. <laughs> you mean certainly the more... most successful level headed person? Okay. Okay. I was going to say because. Uh, Weird Al's biographer was pretty. He's a pretty famous guy. He may not be as level-headed as this guy, though. He was. He was. That's he, right. He was, <laughs> so, so we've kind of teased this. We teased this in the last week's episode. So we're we're going to introduce you to. Uh, I mean, world famous uh, television host from the National Geographic show Monster Fish, and also. Voted one of the 50 sexiest and environmentalists of all time, or of the, I think, 1918 or 19 or 2018. 1918. I know. I'm so excited. The guy you know. that's talked to Nashville superstars can text <laughs> some of the A-listers on his phone, and you're getting flustered right here. I know. Well, I'm, I'm not flustered. I can't read my writing. You know, um, it's, your, anyway. it's your college days because he's a PhD guy. So you know, the, the word doctor, you, you're going back to professors. He's a P, he's a PhD guy, and I was just a football player. So that's right. Uh, that's right. So so, the, so we're welcoming to the program the one and only Zeb Hogan. Welcome to the program. We're super excited. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks. Glad to be with you guys. So so Zeb, I. I uh, like like we kind of talked before. I was not really aware of the show Monster Fish, and I'll bet our fan base all I mean all over the because you you know that show took you all over the world, and I know we have listeners in many of the places that you were at. Um, they probably are well aware of you, so they're probably like going, "Shane, you idiot," you know. And I know the Howler though was a big fan of your show. I was, yeah, yes. So so Zeb, tell us how does a seemingly bright, super smart, intelligent guy find himself in the middle of nowhere on a on little tiny boats chasing some of the biggest dangerous fish uh, known to mankind around uh, around the world. How how do you get there? Yeah, it, it all it started in two thousand five. I was uh, doing my PhD in northern Thailand, and the fisherman I was working with there caught a 646 pound catfish 
uh, and, and uh, you know, I'd never seen anything that big. And, you know, it's hard to believe anything that big can come out of a, out of a river. And I, I just asked the question kind of to myself, but as a researcher too, you know, is this the world's largest freshwater fish? What is the world's largest freshwater fish? And what I thought was a simple question uh, has turned into the last 20 years of my life and also turned into the monster fish shows and turned into a book that um, I just I just finished. So that's kind of how it all started was with that unbelievably large catfish that came out of the Mekong River in 2005 and just being amazed by it and kind of wondering what else is out there. Um, what did they catch it on? That's, yeah, I'm a no fisherman, kidding. right? So I got a whole different angle. Is what 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 do they use? Because I noticed on some of your shows, those guys use rocks for sinkers. I mean, they they don't have Bass Pro Shops like me, right? I can just go down here and Johnny Morrison will sell me all kinds of stuff. The people you're fishing with have absolutely nothing, almost. Yeah, well, people, every you know, every fish, every place, every person is different. Up in northern Thailand, it's the Golden Triangle where Laos and uh, oh, yeah. Thailand and China come together. Yeah. So there's one section of the river that's shallow and wide, and they use uh, giant nets, like a 300 foot long like floating, a, a, a floating floating net. And the net just floats down the river, and then the fish they're migrating upstream. They hit the net, and they get they get all tangled up. So they just catch everything. Well, no, the the the, the, the mesh size. size. They don't okay, catch anything sure. except for the big catfish. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So any yeah. normal size fish, probably a person could swim through it. So the mesh is like eighteen inches wide or something like so that. So they're targeting the giant fish. Yeah, yeah, because they know that they migrate up past this area at that time of year. How long does it take? And this it, it, saddens me in a way. Uh, I, it, my confession was, you know, I grew up down here in the central Ozarks. I spent a majority of my professional life in Minneapolis. I moved back and I wanted to go snagging. When I was a kid, snagging big spoonbill was was a thing, you know. And you would work all day in the 70s because they didn't have the electronics they have today. And then I was invited with a guy and he said, well, you know, we'll probably live in out in about an hour. And I said, how? And he said, well, we'll go out there and we'll find them on the graph and you know right where to drop your line and you snag them. That and then reading about the collapse of the cod industry in Newfoundland, I just quit catching big fish. I'll be honest with you. So it saddens me because how long does it take for a 646 pound fish to grow that big, like a catfish like that? Yeah, catfish in warm water, we're guessing, we don't really know, but 30 or 40 years. I mean, but you could get sturgeon or, you know, the big, the spoonbill, the paddlefish that you're talking about, you know, big sturgeon could be over hundred, big alligator gar could be over hundred years old. So you're right. These fish, you take a big fish like that out of the river and it takes a long time for something like that to come back. Yeah. I, you talk about the sturgeon and, and here in Lake Erie, where I live near that's, that's what happened. Like the sturgeon were almost completely fished out in the eight, late 1800s, and they totally had to ban. I mean, you can't even hardly – you catch one, you better get it off your, your hook as soon as you can now. I mean, you're not even allowed to hardly look at one. In Lake yeah, Erie. yeah. I mean, yeah, po- <laughs> populations in the Great Lakes of those lake sturgeon drop 99% or something. They really – there's two places, as far as I know, there are two places where you can still catch them, you know, good chance of catching them and the – it's all managed well and everything. And that's uh, Lake Winnebago in uh, Wisconsin. And then the St. Clair River. I, it's not my part of the wood, not my neighborhood, but it's the river that connects to the, the Great Lakes. Anyway, there's a good healthy fishery there and you can catch them there as well. So, so okay. So where they catch this 600 pound catfish, I mean, they're catching it and they're going to eat it, right? I mean, there's not, it's not like they're catching it and putting it back. Yeah, so that fish was uh, sold, but uh, you know, as part of the work, this you know the the project started back then, and over time, you know, traveling, doing the monster fish shows, traveling around, meeting the fishermen, and talking with them. So we now have programs in some areas where we work with the fishermen. If they catch one of those big endangered fish, then we work with them. We tag it. We release it. So we just. We've been doing this recently in Cambodia. We have fishermen that we're working with. They'll give us a call. You know, we don't do this for for all fish. They they fish in and they're eating fish all the time. But if they catch something super rare, uh, then they give us a call and we go out, we tag it and release it. So they just, was it last summer in Cambodia, 
a fisherman there caught a big, it's called a giant salmon carp. It's a totally bizarre looking fish that can get up to like six feet long. They caught one. First time it had been seen in 20 years. We thought it was extinct. And so they gave us a call. Unfortunately, by the time we got up there, the fish had died. But, um, you know, there's all kinds of, you get back to like the monster fish shows in this work, all kinds of crazy fish out there all over the world that you, I think most people wouldn't, wouldn't even realize they're there. Well, I started watching episode episodes and like the one place you caught two or three different species you had never even seen before, like uh, the the vampire fish and the like. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, which, yeah that that which, was in Guyana. So you know, right. working, living in the U.S. or or even working in Asia. The fish somehow, like even a 646-pound catfish, it's really hard to get your head around how big it is. But it's still, you know, it's a catfish. It still sort of looks like you would imagine. But in Guyana, and this is mostly South America, and I'm not sure why this is, but there's a vampire fish that has three-inch long things coming out of its mouth. People can, you know, Google vampire fish or pyre. They'll be, it's an absolutely crazy-looking fish. There are wolf fish that have kind of dog-like canine sharp teeth uh stingrays electric eel that can you know deliver a shock if you get close to one so south america you know in terms of just weird crazy and dangerous looking fish definitely south america wins the prize and you're just jumping in like like you're just jumping in the water in your bare feet and just you know when in that uh, wolf fish Right? Is that what it was? The wolf fish? Yeah. The, py- the yeah. pyara is the one with the long fangs. And yeah. the wolf fish kind of just has big eyes, big teeth, looks just well, kind of mean. Well, the guy had just told you a story about the guy getting his Achilles tendon. Separate, oh, yeah. But yeah, the, yeah. you're just jumping in the water in your, in your bare feet. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, like, that's just that. I mean, that's just a recipe for disaster in my book. Yeah. But I'm chick- well, the I'm secret, chick- I mean, the secret chick- about filming is the cameraman almost always has to get in the water before I do. So <laughs> we, it's the poor cameraman that usually gets it. We had a cameraman who was shocked by an eel. Uh, we had one of the guys that was bit by a shark, not badly, just on the hand. But um yeah, it's usually the cameraman that gets it because he not only does he have to get in the water first, but he's looking through the camera. And so he doesn't see what's going on. Oh, good. Well, grade. you know, I, I, that sounds all good and well, a, a shark bite to the hand. But, you know, from <laughs> my background at national security and I, you know, I'd traveled the globe doing uh, uh, security assessments and security efforts. You know, when you said golden triangle, I'm thinking unexploded ordnance, the jar of planes. You know, there's mines. There's so much stuff in some of those places you've been from decades of warfare, that's what I'm thinking, right? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot so, worse than getting or that in poison. Me and Shane talked the last couple episodes about poisonous snakes and stuff in Australia. We have a following in Australia, and it seems like every week it's a different dangerous animal. So, so <laughs> bad snakes and ordnance is what I'd worry about. Yeah, that was a real concern when, like, so I first started working in Southeast Asia in 1997, and you had to, you couldn't go. You know, the water, we never had any problems in the water. We were safe on the river, but you had to be careful where you went on land. Yeah. And then in Australia, I don't I the the main thing, it's the probably the most legitimately dangerous animal that I've ever been around are the saltwater crocodiles. I mean, they are legitimately they will they will talk about them two weeks people. ago. Yeah. Yeah. So that's in that that was something that we really had to watch out for. And our rule, and you know, we were just listening to the people, the local scientists that we were with. But, you know, if you could see the bottom of the river, if you could see the bottom, you could get in the water. If you couldn't see if it was turbid or it was deep, you couldn't get in because there might be a saltwater croc there. And they, those saltwater crocs, they'll sit, you know, they learn people's behavior. They feed on terrestrial animals. And so they'll sit there and they'll wait. So we, uh, yeah, I did that. That was the, that was probably the the one animal that really scared me when we were flying. Do you think that's because they have so, you know, there's a theory that polar bears are so dangerous because they don't have contact with humans. So they don't really know, you know, that, that there's some danger there. Are those saltwater crocs are just mean inherently, or they just got so little, uh, interaction with people that you're just another food source to them? No, it's the opposite. So when they become dangerous and some, I don't know if polar bears get this way. Um, 
black bears can get this way. I, I'm in Nevada, so we have black bears. But the crocs learn. So the crocs will learn where people are, you know, cleaning their fish or they'll learn where people are active in the water a lot. And especially if they get fed, then they can be they can become a big problem. So the crocs, they're actually much bigger problems when they become used to people rather okay. than the opposite. Okay, sure. Okay. Um, was there ever a time you're sitting out there on that on the, one of those little boats going down the river and thinking, "What am I doing? I could <laughs> yeah. be, I could be back home." <laughs> well, so you, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I always take my, you know, I, 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 some of these places I'm learning from the lo- local locals, and so we went out on this tiny boat in the middle of the night on the Adelaide River. It has the the largest solar crocs in the world. And this boat probably 10 feet long, and we were about an inch above the water. And uh, I was with an Australian biologist, and he didn't seem worried. So I just thought, okay, well, if he's not worried, he knows something I don't. I'm not going to be worried. Um, And then there was another time when we were filming, and I was down in the water holding a sawfish. And I noticed all the crew was like 20 feet up on the bank, and they were filming me. And I thought... Are they what kind of shot are they trying to get? Like, the, why are they so far away? And I realized that they were staying away from the water because they were afraid of crocs. And I just put the sawfish back in the water and I said, okay, let's go film something else. Well, at least you had a weapon, though. I mean, he had a baby weapon. Oh, so have you, uh, and all I keep thinking is, is have you ever like, the boat ever capsized or have you fallen in in a spot where you're just like man i do not i did not want to do this like because it just looks like i mean you're flying down the and we talked about how cool your hat is and how much i love it i how many times has that fall, flown off your head <laughs> yeah i mean i i used to be terrified of deep water and of sharks when i was a kid and i didn't get over that until i was probably 20 uh you know now i'm trying to think of the few places where i just I just get, you know, and I just get that sense like something's not right or I should I shouldn't be doing this or and the one time I can remember feeling that with saltwater crocs definitely, you know, you feel that tingle uh like hey, something I need to something's dangerous here that I'm not fully aware of. And then the other place I felt that was in India, we were doing a show on goonch catfish which have a reputation which mm-hmm. is, you know, unclear whether or not they deserve this reputation but for eating people. And, uh, I was in a really big river. We had been in a small river and I'd seen some five footers and swam with them and didn't, they didn't feel very threatening, but they, these fish get up to 10 feet long. And I was in a big river where I knew these, there could be some 10, 10 foot long catfish. And that I, I got that sense again. I thought, I thought, okay, I'll get out of the water. I'm not, I'm not sure it's down there. No, wait a second. A 10 foot long catfish. Yeah. Yeah. And they have big teeth too. And they're, and they're aggressive. Like if you watch them hunt or feed, they, they'll attack. And so I'd never seen, I'd never seen one do that, but I'd never seen a really big one either. So I, I got a little nervous You with all of these fish and I probably all animals, uh, you know, you have, you don't, you just, you, after you're around them for a while, you can sort of get a sense for their behavior and, how they react to people and how dangerous they are. But those first couple times, or if I'm not sure what's around me or what's down there. Yeah. I, I get, I can get pretty nervous. I mean, I totally get that. You know, I mean, we have a farm and some people, you know, we got, we got horses, steer, you know, steers are 1600 pounds, 1800 pounds. And some people are scared to death of them. And, you know, when you're around them, you know, you, you get used to them, you know, how to handle them and, and pick up signs. But I'm also, though, not trying to do something with the steer horse in five foot of water, too. That's, to me, the added, that's the added uh, adventure to it. Yeah, well, and like, I mean, just most of these fish, the way you'll get hurt is when you're catching them. So like that 1500 pound steer or whatever, if it's if you're sitting in the field and it's not you're not bothering it, it's probably not going to bother you. But these fish, when you catch them, they'll headbutt you they'll try to bite you they'll roll so that's you know that's when people get hurt and most of the videos you see you know it's people pulling a shark out by the tail from the on the beach and it turns around bites their arm now the shark thing okay 
I, I the whole deal with the uh, bull sharks swimming up the river. Uh, I watched that episode, and I just I couldn't believe it. Like the the lady fishing off her back deck or whatever in <laughs> South Carolina. And, yeah, uh, I mean, I don't want I don't want to scare I don't want I don't want to scare you, but I we've been out shark fishing enough. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, or at least ten, that we've caught you know a ten foot shark. And you, we look up from where we're catching the shark, and it's a crowded beach. So, I mean, almost anywhere people are swimming, there are big sharks, and they're not bothering. You know, ninety-nine times out of hundred, they're not bothering anyone, but they're there. And uh, shark biologists, you know, some people have experience going to the beach and being on the beach and playing in the water. Well, shark biologists, they're off the beach catching the sharks, and you, <laughs> there are places like Florida. Uh, Australia, or some of the other places. I mean, there's South Africa. South Africa, yeah. There are a lot of sharks, and most of the time they they leave people alone. But every once in a while, they you know I, I watched take a, take a bite the other day. That was I didn't realize killer whales really were killer whales as much as they are. I watched them uh, kill sharks. Apparently, kill sharks. Yeah. I watched a thing the other day that what they were killing. Uh, is that just because they're just a fish? I mean, I mean well, I they're predators. They're animals, I mean, they're they're, they're yeah, intelligent. They're, just, they're intelligent predators, and for whatever reason, I, I'm not a killer whale expert, but for whatever reason, there aren't many, if any, documented attacks on humans. But they that they feed on whales, they feed on sharks, they feed on marine mammals, and they're they're predators, and they're smart. They hunt in packs. Uh, so yeah, they're. Yeah, they were hunting those sharks. It just eating the liver out of it, and that's what it said. Flipping the rest of the carcass. Yeah, I mean they're 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 smart. They're smart animals, and they meat eaters. Smart predators. Well, the um, but the bull shark swimming up the river—that is what really gets me. And it was kind of cool to see, uh, you know, you guys catch the smaller ones and 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 kind of explain that, but. What would it take? What's it take for a great big, you know, nine or ten foot bull shark to say, ah, "I'm going to keep going up the river"? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think you know, it's mainly the smaller ones. We, uh, I, I was in Australia, probably uh, 50 miles from the ocean. I, I don't know if you've ever been to Sedona, Arizona, but that's what it looked like. It was red uh, cliffs and nice, small, clear water stream. And I, we were in Australia, like 100 degrees, boiling hot. And the only thing I could think about, we've been driving all day. We finally get to this stream. And the first thing, I, I'm from Arizona, so I thought, oh, I'm going to go jump in the water, just cool off and relax <laughs> for five minutes. And I, and I, you guys like Australia stories, don't you? Uh, oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. I, uh, I ran over to the stream, and there was a little swimming hole. And I was about to jump in, and there were five or six bull sharks just circling in this pool, 50 miles from the ocean. And I thought, oh, this is in Arizona. This, I got, this is the different rules here. So those pools in Australia, you know, they have saltwater crocs, bull sharks, freshwater stingray, freshwater softfish. So there's all kinds of – yeah. So it's like not you said, Australia. It's true, true freshwater. It's fre- freshwater, yeah. And they can just yeah, go the from bull- one to the other. Yeah, yeah. You, it's typically the smaller ones, but every once in a while you get a, a big one. You know, uh, the more the, the larger the river, the more likely you get larger fish. A lot of the in this smaller stream where we were in Australia, once they once the sawfish and bull sharks get to about six feet long, they move out because they just. I mean, probably they don't have enough space, and also they reproduce in coastal areas. So once they get big enough to reproduce, they'll move out. But, but they, they, they can they, – physiologically, they can handle it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Their gills yeah. will work in fresh water yeah. just like salt yeah. water. Yeah. Interesting. Jeez. Well, and I was – another episode I watched, it was, took me back to my college days uh, because you guys pulled a, a Paku or pa, – how do you pronounce Paku? Yeah, Paku, but, Paku. Uh, So when we were in college, we used to get like those uh, snakeheads and the Pakus. And have them in aquariums and, you know, because they would eat goldfish and stuff. And, uh, I mean, those things were, it it didn't dawn on us that they didn't get much bigger because the size of the aquarium. (laughs) Yeah. But then then I saw one at SeaWorld up here outside of Cleveland when that was, and it was like the size of a manhole cover. (laughs) 
And I thought, oh my god, you know? Yeah, they get they get seventy or eighty pounds. Those things get those things get big. And they're, you know, that makes me think of piranha too, which is with piranhas, another strange fish because everywhere that we went in South America, the rivers are full of piranha. And when you, you're fishing, you cast out your bait, like it's hard to catch anything except for piranha. And if you have a fish, if there's a fish in distress, the piranha will just come in and just tear it to shreds. But you can swim in those same areas. Like we would bathe, we would go for swims. Uh, and they won't bother you. And so that's another, it's another interesting fish. Cause I know piranha are fish that generate a lot of, a lot of fear. And it's for good reason in the sense that they, you know, they could take a chunk out of you. Like we bite, bite an apple. But if most of the time, like if you're swimming or whatever, they don't sense that distress. They, they don't, they don't do anything. So it's, I, I never fully understood that we had, we were out for the show. We did a show about, giant short tail river ray and it was in argentina so don't try this so and uh, our fishing guide wanted to show us that piranha were harmless so we had a bucket of them and he put his hand in the bucket and a bit it like bit the end of his finger off so it, don't 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 try that but i think the lesson there is you know when they're in the river when they're doing their thing they leave you alone but if you get 20 of them in a bucket and stick your hand in they, uh, you might regret that how did he get 20 of them in a the bucket? That's what I was Well, they're so easy to catch. So we just, oh. we, we kept catching them and we thought this is probably your, you know, anglers listening to the show. I think this is, I, it's probably a stupid idea, but we thought if we kept catching them from this one area, eventually like we would catch all of them from that area and then we would be able to catch other stuff. But we just kept catching, catching, catching. We had about 20 of them in the bucket and that plan was, was not working. Because they keep moving so, in. I guess so, yeah. And there's just well, so they, many of them. It's because they call their friends and say, hey, look, yeah, there's free yeah. food. There's free food if you come over here. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, oh, my gosh. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
So we kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, you're out here in some of these super remote areas and uh, some, you know, where we do get reports of other, you know, uh, paranormal type stuff. What are some of the cool legends or stories that you've heard out there that 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 may and I don't know, maybe you have a different perspective because you're out there and you're seeing a 646 pound catfish he really wants to know how come you haven't went and tried to catch the Loch Ness monster <laughs> I was getting to that yeah. <laughs> I was getting to that so I there almost every river every lake big big river lake has a story associated with it and one of the interesting stories that I came across that I was actually able to kind of investigate and kind of figure out what was going on was when I first started traveling in Thailand Thailand has the story of a of a naga, which is like a a serpent, uh, has like a dragon head with a long uh-huh. serpent body, and it's thought to live in the Mekong River and breathe fireballs. Uh, and there's a fireball festival every year where you can go. I've never been there, but, uh, but it's every year you can go and watch these fireballs come out of the river. Um, and I don't understand what it is, uh, and I've never been, so I can't I can't tell you that much more about it, but there was a photo in all I went to restaurants and barber shops and stuff in Thailand. There was a photo in all of all around Thailand. And it, it was this photo of this serpent like fish with all of the US military holding this like I mean, it's at least 20, 20 feet long, big fish. And the label on the photo said Naga, Queen of the Mekong with American military, Laos 1973. And Everyone that I would talk to thought, you know, this is the largest because I was looking for the biggest fish in the Mekong. Everyone was saying, this is the biggest fish. Look at this photo. And so I did a little bit of digging around. And it turns out that that photo was taken uh, on the beach in San Diego in 1991. And someone took the photo and like made it black and white and reprinted it and put it and sold it all throughout thailand and what kind of fish was it It, it's an oar fish so it's a real fish that i mean the best stories and a lot of you know a lot of these stories the best stories they're based on reality so this is a real fish it's the longest longest bony fish in the world it's a marine fish uh and it washed up on the beach and these guys at a you know whatever bases down there a lot i get there there are a lot of bases down in san diego Diego, but yeah yeah san diego huh so someone, the bunch of guys were out on the beach, uh, you know, and picked up a fish and took a photo and it ended up starting a whole story somewhere else in the world. Isn't that interesting? Usually it's, we're importing something from Thailand that it's kind of shady. Now it's <laughs> yeah, from yeah. America. <laughs> it goes, it goes both ways. <laughs> so, and then, and, and then, the, and the, you bring up Loch Ness, like, uh, so we did a story, we did a show on uh, the largest fish in Europe, which is the Wells catfish. And it can get up to about 10 feet long, serpent-like body, big head, swims like a snake. Uh, and I've never been up to Loch Ness, but I, we did this show on Wells catfish, and we, I've seen really big ones. And man, it looks it looks like a it looks like a big serpent. And when it swims a certain way, a couple you know parts of its body come out of the water, like some of those photos you see of the Loch Ness monster. And the guy, I I don't know if you've ever ever talked to this guy, but apparently there was one guy who divorced his wife and sold his house and went and lived on the banks of Loch Ness, looking for the Loch Ness monster for like twenty years. And a few years ago, he gave up. And he said he decided it was a Wells catfish. So that oh. I just I saw that story in the in the in the paper. So he probably just mm-hmm. wanted an excuse to get away and just go fishing the rest of the <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, for twenty years, and then he decided he wanted to do something else. Well, well, well. Let's be. I mean, let's be real. The like, if a sturgeon, you know, and you're saying some of those. I mean, they're hundred years old, if not older. Okay, and they don't look like they've changed. In tens of thousands of years or no, ever. millions, they, millions, yeah, millions. Been, okay, yeah. so in reality, a ten-foot-long catfish is a is a type of monster. Okay, now is it a dinosaur that has survived? You know, you know, millions of years or whatever. No, 
but uh, in a sense, it is a kind of a mind. I mean, it's just something. Yeah, yeah. That you don't, well, I mean, these yeah. these fish are unbelievably big. A lot of them are strange looking. They look like dinosaurs. They've been around for millions of years. And the other, like, I, for me personally, whenever I'm in the water, I always have the sense that something's in the water with me. Sure. And you look, if you, you know, you, you have a mask or you just look with your eyes, you look down in that deep water and it just goes to black. And I always <laughs> have the sense, like, there's something in that black water that I can't see. And I, you know, there is. That's that's the the take home message is that there is something down there that's big that's with you. It might not be exactly, you know, might not be the Loch Ness monster, but it it's something big that you maybe have never seen before. These these big fish, like that big catfish in in Thailand or big big the big wells catfish or whatever, people see the fish for the first time. A lot of the people have never seen anything like that. Local people. Have so they just heard anything? about it or rumors? Yeah, yeah. And so that the first time I'm seeing some of these fish is that there'll be a locals standing on either side of me. It's the first time they've seen it too. So, you know, you hear you hear stories, but these are rare fish. They're hard to find. They live in remote areas. Um, yeah. So I, I think that that's well, where a lot of these stories come from. And back to Loch Ness, and you got to think if that story started 200 years ago, if you if you're you know. I, we have reference because we've got Hollywood movies and obviously your show and and the internet. But a hundred years ago, if you saw a ten foot catfish, I bet you it freaked you out because you had no exactly right or two. Yeah, I mean, it, hey, it still freaks people out. I mean, it still freaks me out. So uh, yeah, <laughs> we have the ability to to kind of get more information. We there. We can go down there, you know, we have scuba gear and we have underwater cameras and we have bulk, you know, more equipment than they did 200 years ago. So we can we can figure out more what's going on. But there's there's a still a whole world down there that's that's unknown. Um, right. You just you may you made me you made me think of what one story, which is there, there are these thousand two thousand year old cave paintings in Thailand and the cave paintings are of people. And then giant catfish. So that's what's on these walls are giant catfish and people. And I always assumed, and until we just talked just now, I always assumed that those paintings were of people and catfish. But those paint, maybe those paintings were of a story, like of a of a spirit or like a god or a monster. You know, I assumed that those paintings were of something that real, but maybe maybe, maybe it was not. a story. Well, they it probably was, yeah, were yeah. real to Ooh. them, right? Yeah, or, or, they, were real. or they were real. Or you're but saying maybe it's they, a story they heard. That they were yeah, trying to, yeah. yeah, or it had some mythical significance. You see big giant fish carved on the walls of Angkor Wat temples in Cambodia, and the scientists in me, when I see that, oh, I think, oh, that's that's a giant carp or whatever. I think it's a real fish, but maybe they, you know, maybe to them it represented something else. Well, so, so where, so since we're in the United States, where at in the United States, uh, since I haven't seen, I haven't seen all the shows. Is there what you would call? Is there any place that would that would rival, like uh, Thailand and Cambodia and those places with the the really giant fish? Or, or is that just yes. So the the biggest fish that you can see in the U.S., which I wasn't a huge focus of mine because it moves between fresh and salt water, and I mainly was focused on freshwater fish. Although we did do some sharks and stuff, but, but white sturgeon. So white sturgeon mm. can get. 15 feet long. Uh, they live in the Columbia River and the Fraser River in the Pacific Northwest, and they're all the way down into California. Uh, but they get absolutely massive, and they're a cool-looking fish, a dinosaur with big scoots, which are kind of like scales. So that's definitely those. Those fish get huge, and they're incredible. Live forever. I mean, I can't. I can't. Hundred years. I can't even wrap my head around. Yeah, and they're cool. And you can fish for they're fairly I mean they're it, it, they're endangered in the upper watershed, but down low in the Columbia, they're fairly common. You can fish for them and you could that you could actually go out. It's you know better to do catch and release, but you can go out and catch and release a, a ten foot fish like pretty I don't want to say easily, but if you spend a week doing it, you could do it. Yeah, uh, right. and Oh, go ahead. No, you'll finish what you said. and then I'll... Oh, and then I was just going to take you around. So then you go go a little bit south. There's green sturgeon, which get up to about seven or eight feet long. They're pr primarily Oregon, Northern California. Another species of sturgeon, but green color. 
their their scoots are sharper. They even look more ancient than than a white sturgeon. Uh, alligator gar are up to three hundred pounds. They're kind of all through the Mississippi sure. basin and in the south. Uh, and then lake sturgeon up in the Great Lakes. And then I feel like I'm forgetting one one more. But yes, I mean to answer your question, yes, we do have fish that rival the, those fish in Asia. And another interesting story about the U.S. is if you read like books like Mark Twain, uh, books from the 1800s, you'll hear a lot of accounts, written accounts of catfish up to about 300 pounds in the U.S. And we haven't had anything that big uh, in the last hundred years. But the, the interesting thing is, is the record as rivers get healthier and as things kind of our river rivers improve and people keep better records, that record for biggest catfish in the U.S. keeps going up. It was like a hundred, a little bit over a hundred pounds for a while. Then it was 120. Last time I looked, it was, I want to say it was around 150. So, you know, are those stories of 300 pound catfish from the 1800s? Are those just stories or are those real? It's, <laughs> well, we'll find, I mean, we'll find out. maybe There's, they had them back then and something happened to them in the middle and now the water's getting cleared back or well, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what happened to them. It was the industrial revolution that, that totally destroyed much of the, <laughs> I mean, much of the river. I mean, yeah. We talk, so, we talk, but, but maybe, but maybe if we get the river back in good shape, we'll get those, those 300 pound catfish back too. We, we don't, we, we're not, we don't know. Um, yeah, I was go. excited when he told me you were you wanted to be on the show because you know I I, I live here at Lake the Ozarks, which nobody ever heard of until the TV show on Netflix Ozark. But I grew up hearing about giant three hundred pound catfish. It's 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 the Osage River uh, uh, dammed up with a hydroelectric project built in the in the twenties. Uh, and it's supposedly you know they're right underneath the whole time I was a kid and you could go out here any day of the week and somebody will tell you about 300 count catfish at the bottom of the dam. Now I've since found as a, as a grown up with a bass boat and a graph, the deep water isn't right underneath the dam. It's a half a mile out from the dam. But, but, uh, anyway, I said, uh, you know, we, we, he, he needs to come down here when you get to, when you get the program going back, I know you stopped for COVID. I thought, Hey, Zeb needs to bring him down to the Ozarks and catch some big fish. I seen you did do some noodling in Oklahoma though. So you kind of, yeah, yeah. The noodling, <laughs> which I think do you, do you call it, do you, do you call it noodling? noodling? There's, it's called they something call noodling. else. Noodling. Yeah. We call, I call it noodling, but they also have a different word for it. That's, it, and I thought, you know, I thought that was such a, a joke. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. But it's a real thing, and it's actually like a real a, a real sport. I don't know if I should go so far as to say, so but real. it is. When I was a kid, it was illegal in Missouri, and we used to make fun of the, the statute going, there's no way those guys do it, but they really do, don't they? Yeah, and it works, and like go out. A lot of times it'll be a, a team, and you go down. You actually can hear the fish. When you get close, they kind of grunt at you, and uh, you, you feel around, and it's a real thing. I, I just – it looks so funny, yeah, and maybe because you know in the shows they make it look, look funny, but um, – yeah, it's totally a real thing, and it's you take skill and the people. Why who don't do they it, swim away from you? They're they're like in a hole. They're in a they're in their home. Oh, so they back into those mud holes that they yeah, make. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, and what and what for people that you know like me noodling? What is that where you like stick your hand in the mouth? <gasps> yeah, or yeah. So you so the water you can't when when oh, I've done God. it. You, you can't see anything. So you, you, you're you kind of walking around in the water and you're looking for rocks and holes. And then when you find like a rock with a like a ledge or a hole underneath, you dive down. And if there's a fish there, it'll you kind of reach your hands in where you, you can't see and you can hear the fish. It'll start to grunt. And then you if you know once you know there's a fish there, I only did it with a team. So once you know there's a fish there, you got kind of all get around the rock. And then one person goes down and you stick your hand in the fish's mouth and grab on to its 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 mouth and its jaw. Now, who invented that? I mean, what kind of – I mean, was that a Native yeah. American thing or who I, even started yeah. that? I mean, as, I think as soon as people could catch – figure out a way to catch <laughs> fish, they were catching fish. So that, that feels like a technique that's been around for a while. I mean, I, I would worry about snapping turtles. Yeah, and you hear—I mean, you hear people getting yeah, snakes well, bitten, bitten, bitten by snakes, turtles, whatever. I, I'm going to tell you, I went a couple times when I was in college. My one buddy used to like to go hunt for carp in the in just the rivers here, and they weren't giant carp. You know, you're talking 
five, four or five pounds or whatever. But he literally would, and we didn't call it noodling or anything, but he could reach down and if he could feel a carp along the bank there, he would grab it by the eyes and pull it out. And and he said, as soon as he put his hands over its eyes, it just gave up. It didn't do anything. And he'd pull it out. And I watched him do it. And I'm like, you're out of your mind. Yeah. Like, what? I think hand fishing, I mean, it's a real thing. I think it used to be more common when, when there were more fish in the rivers. But oh, hand, hand, hand fishing, <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know, people... Pro bat shops would be, be out of business. If <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us well, about the book. What what brought yeah. the book on? So the book uh, is, you know, we were doing the shows. We first started doing Monster Fish in 2007. Uh, last show we did was 2018, 2019. And every, the, each show, we go to a different area or I would go to a different area. We focus on one fish meet with local scientists, local fishermen, hear the legends, learn the science. And they're an hour-long show, so we never really had a chance to dive that deep into any, you know, any one topic. And so the fit, the book is the search for the world's largest freshwater fish. It starts in Thailand with the catch of that two, uh, 646-pound catfish and starts with the question, what is the world's largest freshwater fish? And so the book tra- takes readers all around the world to learn about each of these each fish all around the world that are contenders for the world's largest. And so it's just it's going to be published uh, next month. It'll be out next month. Uh, people can pre-order on Amazon. It's available on Amazon now. Uh, they, they Probably the easiest way to find it is just uh, search my name, Zeb Hogan, on Amazon, and the book will come right up. Um, but yeah, it's, it was fun writing. It took <laughs> took me ten years to write, uh, but it's uh, you know it's kind of a mix of adventure stories about these fish and learning about big fish all over the world. What uh, what's the plans like for the show? Then are you gonna you guys gonna be back on the air anytime soon. Yeah. So the, so we're the plan now is we're going to do one show, uh, based on the book, uh, that we're going to film sometime this year and then sort of see how that goes and then move forward from there. The shows, uh, have always been on national geographic. They're still available on national geographic and we filmed about 30 of them. So you can, most of them are still available and I still see them on airplanes and stuff. Uh, so we're going to film one more show, kind of see how it does, if people are still interested in in learning about these these fish and watching the shows. And then if it does well, we'll, we'll probably do more. Now, as you're, now, has anybody been watching your show on the airplane and you've been sitting beside them and them not realize that? <laughs> that uh, yeah, yes, that happens all the time. <laughs> well, because the... The show you said you were just filming, so maybe maybe you yeah. can appreciate this. But uh, I always wear the same clothes because we were in yeah. and out of the water. Where they cut the show, you know, they edit the shows. What we film the first day might end up at the back of the show or whatever. And so I always have to wear the same outfit. Uh, so I always wear like a brown was, shirt. My I was going to ask me. I was going to ask because I'm like. Man, he's got the same outfit on a four days. <laughs> he's got, yeah, he's got, no, he's got yeah. So I have like ten hats, ten shirts, um, and so yeah, I always am wearing the same outfit, and so normally I not dressed that way, and uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's it that that kind of a normal situation, unless if I'm wearing my like just kind of brown shirt and my Nevada hat and my shorts or whatever I normally wear on the show, then people come up and say, Hey, <laughs> well, I, uh, I mean, I would strongly, or if anybody listening had no idea who you were or this show, uh, before we started this, this, uh, interview, go to national geographic, get download the app for your smart TV, whatever, uh, go check out the, uh, the monster fish shows. We'll put a link, in the uh, in the bio for this episode, they'll go directly to Amazon so they can uh, uh, pre-order the book, and we'll put your uh, website in there too. But I want to encourage. I went right to the giant carp episode, and the most fascinating thing was the you walking up on the koi auction in the street, 
And then when you went to the guy's house who had spent a million dollars on Koi and entered like his trophy room, like, was that like something so far out of left field? You, you never thought. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. And I don't know if they put it in the show, but I almost dropped his like million dollar fish. It, ju- it almost jumped out of the yeah tub. yeah that's what mainly what I remember about that visit is I almost dropped his his uh, prize fish so I'm glad glad I didn't. Oh <laughs> uh, well, how are you got anything for Zeb before we jump off? No, I just I'm, I'm glad he got on. I mean, I'm thanks for being on, man. That's that's what I got for you. I want everybody to go out and buy his book and and catch his uh, pilot when it comes back out this season. So maybe we can get him going again. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, Zeb, I like I told your publicist, I don't know how you uh, you got to hooked up with us, but I'm glad you did because, uh, <laughs> you know, I, you got at least one new fan out of me, which I don't know what that's worth. But I mean, <laughs> it's worth one new fan. So, so yeah, we I, pre- we pre- I appreciate it. it. I appreciate it. Yes. Yes. Th- thank you so much. And, and yeah, we'll be looking forward to uh, to you getting back on the air and and doing some uh, crazy stuff. So be safe out there. Yeah. Thanks guys. Nice talking with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the from the shadows podcast until next time, never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows. We are out. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.